If you have a Bible with you or your Bible app, open to the book of 1 John. It's toward the end of the, end of the Bible, just a few pages before the book of Revelation. And uh, we are uh, finishing chapter 2, or getting toward the end of chapter 2, I should say, this morning. But So John is writing. This is John, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote uh, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, what we would call the epistles or the letters of John. Uh, they, they are very pastoral in how he's writing to protect the church. Same John who also wrote Revelation. Uh, and so John is writing to the church in Ephesus. And, and this church is being lured into a movement that was claiming something new and improved. We always have to be on the watch for that. If, if, if somebody starts and it's a, it's a commercial or a, a pastor or a teacher or something like that, and they claim to have some new idea... It's very difficult. I, I, I always want to listen in just to kind of see what they say, but it's very difficult for me not to just kind of, uh, you know, tune them out right then and there, because anything that starts with like new and improved is not the same old gospel story. And that is the message that God has saved us with. It's the message that he sanctifies us with and the message that he will always bring us home uh, with as well. And so one commentator says uh, th- these Gnostics were coming in claiming that Jesus wasn't really God's last word to his people. And, um, and so John is saying, you who have been anointed by the Holy Spirit, don't be tempted to move from the Father's revealed will and the Father's revealed truth through the prophets and the apostles uh, away from that by de- denying that Jesus is the heavenly anointed son come into the flesh, right? So they're tempted to move from what they understood about what they knew about Jesus. Uh, in, in, in fact, what they had uh, placed their faith in the Lord for salvation regarding that Jesus is the son of man and the son of God, God in flesh, or uh, as I've said before, uh, God with a belly button, God in human form, uh, who lived among us and who Hebrews says is able to be our great high priest because of all that he's gone through in his earthly ministry. Let's read together 1 John 2, 18 through uh, 27 this morning. 1 John 2, 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they, are, that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who's a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. As I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. 
But his anointing teaches you about everything, and it is true. I'm sorry, and is true and is no lie, just as it is taught you, abide in him. Christians must be aware of those who actively oppose Christ and the gospel, discerning error by clinging to God's truth in the scriptures and walking in the spirit by abiding in Christ. I'm going to say that again. Christians must be aware of those who actively oppose Christ and the gospel, discerning error by clinging to God's truth in the scriptures and walking in the spirit by abiding in Christ. He, he, he says, this is the last hour. And so in the last hour, we must beware of those who speak against Christ and the gospel as we understand it as in, and see it as revealed in the word of God. Now, that might, might not sound like a huge thing to you, but I will tell you, friends, a lot of people will come bringing partial truth. Unless that partial truth is accompanied with the full truth that God is who he says he is and that he has come in the person of Jesus Christ to make atonement for our sins, then we need to discount them as current believers. We must discount their teaching if they bring any gospel other than Christ and Christ alone. I've said previously, as we have been in first John, we're not talking about uh, minor doctrinal differences or even important doctrinal differences that aren't salvation issues. We're talking about the salvation issues of, of who can come to into a relationship with God. There are times as we parent or as you grandparent, depending on your level of engagement with your, with your grandkids, where you have certain conversations, right? You have important conversations with them. You talk about just different facets of life as they're growing up. Each, each child faces different things and they kind of uh, grow into themselves and then they take on more responsibility and you have different kinds of conversations with them. And there are times when you might call them by maybe kind of like a family pet name or you might call them by uh, whatever it would be. It would be a term of endearment, right? Uh, maybe it's just their name said with a certain focus, with a certain tone of voice with a certain facial expression. And they know this is an important conversation. Well, John refers to this believers here as children. Just think about that fatherly term of endearment. Children. It's the last hour. He's highlighting their relationship. There's a special bond between them and he is loving them even as he addresses them. There, there's a there's a, a literary device here. He's, he's, he's coming to a new section in what he's talking with them about. And so his fatherly shepherding care for his spiritual children motivates John's loving concern for their well-being, calling them children. And then even at the end in verse 28, he calls them, uh, which is the beginning of a new section, but he calls them little children uh, in verse 28. It is the last hour. John lived with this expectation. Now, when we hear the last hour, we think like in the next 24 hours, in the next week, but this is really a period of time between Jesus's ascension and the time when Jesus will come again for his church. It's all referred to as the last hour or in these last days. He says, it is the last hour. One commentator said, seeing the nature of our times and what the Bible says about the end times, 
Maybe we should even regard ourselves as being in the last minutes. Maybe not the last hour, but the last minutes. And that might be true, right? But he says, Antichrist attack. They're, they're speaking against and they're denying Christ and the gospel. Now, this is interesting. In your translation, it might read a little oddly. It is the last hour, and as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming. This is not the same word as when he's referring to the Antichrist when we read in Revelation but he's talking about a, a general principle of untruth. He's talking in a plurality of those who come teaching untruths, teaching that which is false. In, in the original language, there's no the in the text, which is why it's, it's not here. You read it, and it reads a little oddly. Uh, some of your translations may have it. Some translations have added that in there, but most of them do not uh, have the in verse 19. Later down, they do have the word the, the Antichrist, because... Uh, it's in the original language, but here it's not. And so it's just, he, John is saying, look, there are those who come into the church who are teaching false doctrine. There's a, there are those who come in with smooth words. And, and, and we're a church that, that loves people and we, we believe the best in people. And he's saying, if they come with the wrong message, discount them. Now, does that mean break fellowship? Well, we're sharing the gospel with them. Yeah, I saw some facial expressions now like, well, maybe. And that's true. Well, maybe. This is why we go to great lengths in our membership interviews even to get to know people, to really work hard to see how people understand their relationship with God. What are they banking on for their eternal hope? And oftentimes these conversations provide wonderful opportunities for discipleship. Because a lot of times we get used to just talking in kind of uh, Christianese or church language about the Lord and our relationship with the Lord. Uh, you, you might know people who talk frequently about God. I know people, uh, friends that talk often about God. I don't hear them mention Jesus very much. I'm not making a judgment on their faith. But it's important, Christian, when you talk about the Lord, to talk about your relationship with Jesus. Because I will tell you, the world will be fine with us talking about God all day long. But when we bring in the name of Jesus, Jesus is exclusive. Jesus is the way, not a way. The truth, not a truth. I'm going to pick a little bone. Uh, Sometimes it, it, I know it's kind of common nowadays. People talk about you like, tell me, you know, what's your truth? And I understand. I think the heart behind it is help me understand your story. Help me understand, you know, sort of why you view life the way you do. But it's important to understand there is only one truth. And it's the truth that we see revealed in the word of God about uh, how we are to find salvation with the Lord. And so while I understand the phrase, we want to be cautious even in the, in the language that we use to say, I want to know your story. I want to know how you are perceiving the world so that I can get to know you so that by God's grace, I might be able to come and, and care for you or maybe minister God's word, word to you. An antichrist is one who, anti just means against Christ. One who is against Jesus. Those who are against Christ as revealed in the word of God, that Christ is is the anointed one, fully God and fully man. Now, they're not against Christ in the sense 
that they deny his existence. I know plenty of people who will affirm Jesus as a good moral teacher that we are to learn from and that we are to follow. Brothers and sisters, we don't need good moral teachers. We need a Savior. We don't need help. We need to be made new. We don't need refinement. We need redemption. This phrase is a distinctly uh, common to John. Uh, he uses it here and in verse 22, chapter 4, and in Second John, verse 7. Um, but he didn't come up with the idea. Daniel calls this rival of Christ in 927. He, he refers to the coming prince. Paul calls him the man of lawlessness in Second Corinthians or Second Thessalonians 2, 3. John will picture him as a beast from the sea. Uh, but in this text, it's important to understand that there is a spiritual nemesis, the Antichrist. But what he's referring to here is a, is a spirit of speaking against Christ in the church. People have come into the church deceptively and with intentionality. We're not talking about accidentally misspeaking one time. We're talking about coming into the church with an intentional focus. But their time is limited. They are on a short leash. I want to listen about four or five passages I'm going to read here. But throughout the New Testament, we hear about this. This is the last hour or the last days as this designation from when Christ ascended to when Jesus is coming again. Acts 2, 16 and 17. And from what I'm gathering by observing our environment, this may or may not show up on the screen. y'all even know that I'm preaching right now? <laughs> it's not about me. I can just tell there's a lot going on. Hey, thank you, team. There we go. Let's just thank them. Let me tell you, it's easy. Nobody notices the tech team until something goes wrong, which is wonderful because there's a whole lot of times we don't notice them and things don't go wrong. So very seriously, thank you. Acts 2, 16 and 17. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 2 Timothy 3, 1. But understand this, that in the last days there will be times of difficulty. Anybody experience times of difficulty? Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, one of my favorite passages um, in the New Testament. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Well, I need to see this before I believe. Well, I need to understand this before I believe. I need to, no, 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 you need to look to Jesus. No miracle. No special insight. I digress. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. Uh, the rest of that, verses three and four, are just beautiful, beautiful in, in Hebrews 1. First Peter 1.20, he, Jesus, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest to us in the last times for the sake of you. So this, the last hour evokes a sense of, uh, of, of, of immediacy, of urgency. 
that those who follow Christ must live in. I want to ask you a question before we continue. Who is it that is on your heart that you are burdened for? That must repent and trust Jesus. And yes, we pray, oh, even so, Lord, come now. Yes, Lord, come, come, take us home. Come rip us out of this dark, evil world and take us home. Rip me away from my own tendency towards sin and take me home to be with you. But sometimes there's a, like a but first. Not that we're challenging God's will or God's timing, but, 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 but first. Would you save fill in the blank? Who is on your heart? Who would you weep over? And you would say, oh God, let me live with an immediacy and a sense of urgency and a passion to see them come know the one true king. He speaks to, John speaks to the, the, the spirit of the Antichrist, which speaks, uh, which tells us something of, of what he means, right? They, they are liars who deny that Jesus is Messiah. They strategize with deception and seduction. They cloak themselves in, as I said earlier, partial truths. They appeal to emotion, redefining and reimagining who Jesus might be. He's good, but he's not God, they say. That was the argument in in Ephesus in the days of John as he's writing here. Whatever God you believe in is nice and and wouldn't punish anyone, some would say. I could never believe in a God who, fill in the blank. Brothers and sisters, we were talking about this this morning. uh, And I have this conversation a lot because it comes up a lot. And I'll be honest with you. I've thought this before. What is it about God that would cause you to question whether you would follow him. I can't believe in a God who would fill in the blank. We need to recognize that the things we see throughout biblical history and the things we see today should cause us to recognize the error of understanding in our own hearts. It should cause us to recognize our own earthly, temporary foolishness with a lack of understanding to who God's God is in his wisdom. Everything that God does is good and perfect and right. We just need to humble ourselves before him again and again and again and say, Lord, I don't understand. I don't understand. And I don't demand that you answer me according to my liking. You're God. I'm not. Help me trust you. Help me believe you. And so we need to be wise of anybody bringing things that are contrary to biblical truth, right? Uh, John says, they went out from us. So that's how we know they were never of us in verse 19. Satan works in the realm of religion. Satan works through things that look very religious. Satan works very, very close to the line of what might actually be truth. In fact, he did it in the days of Jesus when, when the spirit of God led Jesus to be tempted, tested out in the wilderness. And Satan took biblical truth out of context and put it to the God man who was hungry, the God man who was tired. Satan works in the realm of religion. Now, to be clear, 
I said it earlier, but I'll say it again. John's not referring to somebody who leaves a church that's preaching the gospel and ends up finding a connection at another church that seems like a better fit. People do that from time to time. That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to people that come into the church. They look good. They've got the sound of the gospel, but something in what they say is wrong. And if we recognize it and they're unwilling to repent from it, meaning we are sharing the gospel with them many times in these conversations were to put them out from among us. But often they'll leave from our midst. They'll leave from our midst and they'll, they'll claim all these different kinds of things. But what they'll do is they'll go and they'll start a new church with a, a new take. Beware, friends. We discern error by clinging to God's truth in the scripture and by walking or living in the spirit by abiding in Christ. Verses 20 through 25 tell us. He's assuring them, you have all that you need. Look at verse 20 together. But you have been anointed by the Holy One and you have all knowledge. Now let me ask you something. Does he mean that kids mom and dad, Pastor Matt said, I have all knowledge. I don't need to go to school this week. No. No, he's saying you, you know all you need to know as you know the one who is your substitute for your sins. You have been anointed. Remember that have been is a word that carries an ongoing impact from what happened once earlier in your life, right? You, you came into relationship with Christ. You heard the gospel. You affirm the gospel. Here, you have all knowledge for all that you need for salvation. He says, you, Christian, have, have been anointed. It's a wordplay on Christ, which means anointed one, the Messiah, The Holy Spirit is the one who works in us and through us with the word of God now to help us know and to understand, to help us grow in all things as we're understanding the word of God. You've been anointed. You've been consecrated. You've been, you've been set apart with truth. You have all that you need in this realm and for this particular purpose. Remember, one of the purposes uh, of the book of, or the letter of 1 John is to help protect Christians from deceit. And that's what he writes here in verse 26. I write these things about those who are trying to deceive you. I write this because you know the truth and because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. If it's contrary to the word of God, it's false. If it's contrary to the word of God, it's false. And he says, be confident. Be confident. And then he goes through and he explains some reasons. He details some specifics here, some of which we've already touched on. But the one who separates the man Jesus from Christ is a liar who misrepresents Jesus. And anyone who does such a thing is an antichrist in that sense. He is against Christ by denying that Jesus is the anointed one from the Father. He denies the Father and he denies the Son. And then on the flip side of the coin, he says, well, if you affirm the Son, then you have the Father. 
Anybody who says, well, I believe in God. I'm just not so, so sure about this Jesus. Oh, friend, if you're talking to somebody and they say something along those lines, impress upon them the importance of knowing who Jesus is. Impress upon them the importance and the beauty of walking in fellowship with God because of Jesus. Through Jesus. We dare not leave those conversations and say, well, to each his own. No, no. No, many people on the to each his own side will end up in hell. And we dare not hold somebody's hand as we walk them to the gate of an eternal damnation in hell. And then walk away and say, well, I'm glad it made you feel better that you believed something about a God. No, friends, they need Jesus. And we get to carry the gospel of Jesus. Well, they're going to laugh at me because it doesn't make sense. That's right. That's why Jesus tells us to count the cost. There's a time in talking about salvation with people. And while I so want people to respond positively, positively to the gospel or to a gospel invitation, we put the brake, we kind of pump the brakes for a minute just to see if they understand. I'm not asking if they can, if they can uh, recite a theological piece or if they can detail every, uh, aspect of the gospel according to the exact words used in scripture i'm looking to see if they understand that god is holy they know that they are a sinner in desperate need of god's intervention and that they are believing that jesus is that man and they are entrusting themselves to the lord on the basis of jesus sacrifice now, am I looking for them to put out all those words and in that exact order? No, I'll try to gently kind of lead them through that conversation. But many times people want to come to God or come to religion for the wrong things. My life's all messed up. I got to get back in church. Well, you need more than that. And we gently lead them to the truth. But if they don't seem to understand the truth. The last thing I want to do is say, repeat this prayer after me and you'll be saved. Have you thought about the fact that giving your life to the Lord of all of the universe might bring other challenges into your life? I don't care. I just know I'm a sinner and I need God's mercy. Okay. Okay. Praise God. Are you aware that your family might, might abandon you if you trust in Jesus? No, I haven't thought about that. Don't misunderstand. I'm not trying to talk them out of it, but let me tell you, friends, when somebody is in Christ, there is nothing that you can do to push them away. There is nothing that you can do to stop the work of God in their life. Sure, we can bring, we can cause doubts and frustrations and struggles. I don't mean the way we live our life doesn't affect people. But if God is saving someone, God's in the driver's seat. And we can rest in that. We can relax in that. He goes on in verses 24 and 25. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. What you heard from the beginning abides in you. Then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father and this is the promise that he made us eternal life. 
He's telling us to persevere in truth, which leads to persevering believers. When we persevere in the word of God, we persevere in our relationship with the Lord. Abide in the truth you heard from the beginning. Don't try to retool it. Don't try to get fancy with it. The best preachers that I, I love to listen to other preachers. I always love to hear how other preachers say something or how other teachers or commentators would say something. And there's a trap in that. Trying to look for a, a new way to say it. Now, I'm always wanting to learn from other people. The best preachers, the ones who have captured my heart when I've listened to them preach or write about the Lord are those who state the truth plainly and simply. At times, just their use of the English language allows them to do it in such a profound way. And I'm blessed by that. But it's those who lay out and hold out the word of God the word of truth that just draws my spirit to be encouraged by them. And so he says 26 and 27 abide in Christ since Christ abides in you that you might have confidence, confidence, not, not a hesitancy, not sort of crossing your fingers in hope. The word biblical word for hope is a, is a confident assurance that whatever it is, is going to come to fruition. I write this so that you would have confidence. Those are my words. I write things, these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you. In other words, God's truth abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as this anointing teaches, us, teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you abide in him. The message never changes. Abide in Christ. John loves this concept of abiding. He uses this word 23 times in 1 John, seven times in these 10 verse, 11 verses. Abide, abide. As he abides in you, so you abide with him. It's, it's union with Christ and communion with Christ. We abide in him. How? Through the word of God. Through the word of God. We don't have to get fancy. We don't have to get creative. I love, I think I mentioned this a week or two ago. It's why, why Paul used the language. Hey, look, we don't come to you with fancy language. I'm paraphrasing. We don't come to you with, uh, with, uh, with plausible ideas. No, we come to you with the same simple message. He said, when, when, when you guys came to Christ, in essence, you received the message that the apostles preach, and you and I, brother and sister, now have fully recorded in Scripture. The Holy Spirit abides in you, so you abide in Him, and you cling to Him in fellowship. The Christian life I'm drawing a blank on the name of the guy who said this. G.K. Chesterton. You've heard me quote this before. I love this quote because I find it to be true over and over again in my own life and in conversations with others. The Christian life has not been tried and found wanting. In other words, we haven't put into print practice the principles of abiding in Christ. 
and found God's process to be wanting or lacking or wrong or incomplete. The Christian life has, been, has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. You mean I have to read the Bible throughout the week? I'm not a reader. Well, you are if you're a Christian. You need to be at some level. I'm not talking about what volume or what pace or any of that. God gave us a book. We need to read this book. We need to pick up this book. We need to live in this living word. And when we try to go it alone, when we try to live this Christian life outside of Christian community, it doesn't work. Am I saying you immediately lose your salvation? No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying God's called us to live in his word with his people for the long haul. It's the simple, enduring message of all time. That's why the Apostle Paul said, the word of the cross, the gospel, it's foolishness or folly to those who are perishing. You're going to talk to people, friends, and when you share the gospel of salvation, they're either going to be angry that you think they're bad enough that they need a savior, or think you're an idiot for thinking that Jesus, one man who came and lived on this earth and died on the cross, could actually save you from your sins. Well, we know it's a little bit more complex than that. It's because Jesus is holy. And he never sinned. Not any man who could come and not any man could come and just live a, a pretty good life and save us. No, no, the, the perfect man gave himself on Calvary for you and for me. And they will laugh at you, and they will make fun of you, and they will scoff at you. The question is, do you care more about their response or God's response when you stand before him in eternity? God, I'm not ashamed of you. Thank you for saving me. I don't deserve it from you but you gave it to me anyway. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Just a few verses later in, in 1 Corinthians 1, he says, since the world did not know God through worldly wisdom, it, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. Did you hear that? God is pleased through the foolish message that we preach, foolish to the world, to save those who believe. One message that never changes. We don't have to buff it. We don't have to clean it up. We don't have to dress it up. We lovingly strive to communicate it faithfully. Herman Bavink is a, is a, a Dutch churchman and a theologian in the late 19th century and early 20th century. And he said... Um, he said this concerning the, the, the centrality of Christ to the Christian gospel. He says, Christ is Christianity itself. He stands not outside of it, but in its center. Without his name, person, and work, there is no Christianity left. In a word, Christ does not point us the way to salvation. He is the way itself or himself. And this is what the apostles taught. This is what the word says. This is what the spirit affirms. This is what we believe is Oak Grove Christian Church. And that will never change. That will never change. 
This is what we confess. And eternal life is what we're promised. Christians need to be aware of those who actively oppose Christ and his gospel, discerning error by clinging to God's truth in the scriptures and walking in the spirit by abiding in Christ. I love that as the Apostle Paul is encouraging believers in in spiritual warfare, he tells us to pick up things like the sword of the spirit and the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and all of these things. Why? So that we can stand. God fights. We hide behind him and stand. And by the way, I don't mean cowering hide. We stand strong behind him, behind him as he goes and he wins the battle. In youth Sunday school this morning, we were just reading about Exodus and God's delivering his people. And as they began to go through the sea, and they went through the sea, half a million people or so with water as walls on both sides. And as the people of Israel were, were coming out, what happened? God confused the, the chariots, the massive war force chariots of the Egyptian army. And they, 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 they got all confused and they got all hung up with mud so that it was like heavy trotting. Why? God won the battle for his people. And they walked out on dry land. And the Israelites stood back and they watched the bodies of the Egyptians drift up to shore. God fights. We stand. We stand. That's why Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, My Father, if this be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. You know what? It wasn't possible. Father, if there be any other way that these people might be saved. There's not, son. There's, there's one. One way. Is this your confidence for eternal life? Is this your confidence for this afternoon? In other words, when, when, when Lori Aker speaks tonight, ladies, and, 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 and I don't know exactly what she's going to, well, I have no idea what she's going to say, except she's going to talk about the Lord Jesus and, and how the Lord Jesus can encourage you in your walk with him. But anyway, besides that, as she talks, are you going to be confused and discouraged and frustrated because sin still exists in this mortal flesh of yours? You think, oh, would you be tempted to think, oh, if only I were just better, maybe God would look. Don't go there. Rest confidently and joyously, completely in Christ. And yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you to will and to act for his purpose. John says in the end of chapter one, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins, not, our, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so as we 
take time to celebrate this gracious gift that we have. We come and we have two communion stations up front, actually three, one over here on this table with gluten-free communion. We'll have two servers in the back. If you say, I am trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. I've had a terrible week spiritually. I've just had a plum awful week spiritually. Well, if there's something you need to get right with the Lord, don't excuse until like, well, maybe one day. No, deal with it, deal with it now. Because you have a God who wants to help you grow. You have a God who wants to help you finish the race. Because he's won the battle for you. Go to him. Deal with what you need to. And come stand in the massive mercy of God. Who made a way for us. As we cling to this central truth. Let's pray together.